kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. Yes. Uh, thank, <clears throat> thank you, Graham. Uh, we'll now sing Psalm 8 from Sing Psalms. Psalm 8. In all the earth, O Lord our Lord, how glorious is your name. For you have set above the heavens your glory and your fame. We'll stand and sing the whole psalm.
we can turn back to uh, the chapter we read there, Matthew chapter 28. And we can read again verses 18 to 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded, commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Uh, obviously, uh, a baptismal service gives us an opportunity to think about baptism. And um, most of us, no doubt, have been at such events before, and perhaps all of us have even been baptized. And therefore, it's uh, appropriate for us to to reflect a little on what it means to be baptized. What is baptism all about? Well, you can read a little tract on baptism, a couple of pages, or you can read a small book on baptism, or you can read a massive book on baptism. All depends how much you want to know. But baptism itself is something that should be everywhere in life. I mean, probably you and I are, are all British. But I doubt if any of us get up every day and say, I am British. But sub subconsciously, everything we do indicates that. Why do we drive on a certain side of the road? I don't know about you, but I have never got into my car and said, I must drive on the left side of the road because I'm British. It's just automatic. When um, we read a page in a book, hopefully we can tell the difference whether it's British English or American English. The punctuation is there, but we should just grasp that automatically. It's just part of who we are, our identity. And in the spiritual life, baptism is the same. It just covers the whole of life, whether we consciously think about it or not. As Christians, all we do is done because we are baptized. If we hadn't been baptized, Many of the things that we engage in just would not happen. And therefore, we should be um, thinking about baptism. I mean, uh, Martin Luther, uh, the great reformer, every time he was tempted to do something wrong, and like anybody else, he was probably tempted quite often to do something wrong, but every time he was tempted to do something wrong, he said to himself, I'm a baptized man. And that way of speaking to himself told him lots of things. Told him why he shouldn't do whatever he was tempted to do. And it also told him that if sadly he had thought something wrong, 
that baptism pointed him to the answer, to the remedy for his wrong thoughts. So baptism is a very important um, subject. Without baptism, there would be no Christian church. And that in itself should tell us quite a lot. I just want us to look at this well-known statement by Jesus, the Great Commission as it's called, uh, to go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. I want to mention four, uh, what I would call just general aspects of it, and all of them we mentioned very quickly. Four general aspects and then seven particular details. I just want to look at these, um, each of these items very briefly. The first general aspect I want to mention is that baptism is a communal event. It's not something that is uh, done in private. It's not a it's not even a, a family event. It's a church gathering. It's a communal event. And that's very important because we are made for community. And as we'll see later, baptism introduces us into a community. But it's a communal event. And I think it's important for us to remember that. It's a happy event. It's a time for celebration, but it is communal. A second general feature about it is that it's scriptural. Yeah. But I mean, baptism is not something a group of men somewhere uh, a long time ago sat down and thought it would be a good idea to have it. Um, Jesus uh, instituted two activities that were to take place in his church, apart from things like preaching and praising, but he, he specified two activities that were to take place in his church. And um, two is really quite a small number when you think about it. But the two that he mentioned, as I'm sure we know, uh, were baptism and the Lord's Supper. And they both have different functions, but Jesus is the one who, is, who originated baptism, who instituted it. And indeed, the chapter we read, that's the first mention of Christian baptism in the Bible. So it's scriptural. And that's important for us as we gather here as a church, because we want to do what is scriptural. <coughs> a third uh, general uh, feature of baptism is that it's symbolic. The, the actual ritual of baptism doesn't change the person who is getting baptized. It doesn't do anything to them necessarily uh, at that moment, although it might, we, can't, we don't know how God works in, in infants and so on, but, but uh, in itself, baptism does not necessarily bring about any inward change. But it's, it's a symbol of, of what God can do in a person's life. And we'll come back to that later on. It's a symbol that points to a reality. It's... Um, there are some things in life that we don't understand unless they're illustrated for us. And baptism, uh, we could say, is a God-given symbol just to help us to appreciate what is happening at this particular time. And the fourth uh, general feature of baptism is one that's obvious, but it must be if it's general, but I suspect we don't actually think about it very often, 
and that is it's only sinners that get baptized. And that's important. I mean, there's no evidence, for example, that Jesus himself was baptized with Christian baptism. I mean, he was baptized by the baptism of John, but that was a totally different kind of baptism. The baptism that according to the Christian church is a baptism for those who are sinners and who are um, aware of that. And when it comes to a child, obviously, it's the parents are aware of, who of what their child is. And no doubt at every baptism, everyone is um, enamored and is, uh, looks at the baby and just thinks how wonderful he or she is. But baptism reminds us that, sadly, all of us, well, we're just born as sinners with a bias towards that. So baptism just reminds us of these four general details. It's a communal event, and it's scriptural, instituted by Christ, and it's symbolic, and it's only given to sinners. And here we are doing it again. So now we can uh, think about the seven uh, general um, details about it, and each of them, again, will be presented quite um, in a short way. But the first one I want to mention is that baptism is something that's done by faith. Everything in the in the Christian life is done by faith. But faith is not always exactly the same. There, there are degrees of faith, and there may also be, I suppose, uh, different ways of expressing faith. And some parents uh, come to uh, uh, the moment of baptism with very strong assurance. They are actually convinced that this moment symbolizes something that God has promised to do. That uh, by, through this act of baptism, he is indicating that the child is going to be blessed spiritually. And the parents have, will have no doubt about it. And, and when they have that persuasion, it's something very precious, something very real in their lives. And it, and it gives them great confidence for the future as they um, engage in this transaction with God. And it, their faith is real. They just are conscious that this uh, ritual that they're going through is also a divine action. And that God's hand is involved in this. And they believe it. Their assurance is there. And if people have that, it's a wonderful reality. But other, other Christians, for whatever reason, don't have that. They come to the, and it's not a criticism or anything, they just don't have it. They just come to the, the moment and we could call their faith the faith of adherence. They are just aligning themselves with the Christian church. And it is their intense desire that their child eventually will become a Christian. But they're doing it, we can say, from a slightly different angle from the others I just mentioned. And they are 
engaging in this transaction, uh, trusting in God, trusting in Christ, and uh, praying that down the line the gospel be blessed to them. And both these expressions of faith are, are, are valid. And they are just examples of how faith in Christ is essential for baptism. That's obviously the case when it's an adult getting baptized. But when it comes to a child receiving baptism, it's not a mere ritual that the parents are engaging in. It has to be an expression of faith. And uh, as I say, there may be different ways that that faith is expressed. And that's a matter between the, between the parents and God. And it's that faith is essential. And that's the first point of the detail. Belief is essential. The second detail is that baptism, as we mentioned earlier, is public. But as we know, um, something can appear in public in lots of different ways. And what is public about baptism? Well, I suppose we could say all of it is public. But there is something specific to it that is public. And we even get that in the Bible. For example, when the, the man from Ethiopia met Philip in the desert and um, he was asked about baptism and he was told, if you believe with all your heart, you may get it. And the point I am trying to make there is there has to be a verbal affirmation. It's impossible to be silent at baptism. We are affirming something. And uh, the time that that happens is when the parents, in this instance here, they're taking vows. And these vows are binding. They're permanent. Nothing ever removes them. It's their responsibility from now on to fulfill what these vows indicate. And of course, that means it's very serious. Baptism is a very significant moment. And it's significant from the parents' point of view here, that they are saying something before others. Of course, the real, the really important other to which they are saying something is the living God, who is fully aware of everything they're saying, and who is fully aware of their hearts at the moment that they take the vows. So baptism is public in that sense. We are affirming, or they are affirming, before witnesses that they fully intend, with God's help, to keep their vows. A third uh, detail about baptism is that it illustrates cleansing. I mean, that should be obvious. Water uh, cleanses. And um, it's pointing us to the effects of the death of Christ. Blood of Jesus, as the Apostle John says, continues to cleanse us from all sin. It just happens. We go through life as sinners, 
But from God's point of view, if we are his people trusting in him, the blood of Jesus cleanses us, goes on cleansing us. Sometimes we just um, think of that verse when we've done something wrong. And we say, and we go and say sorry to God for whatever it is that we've done wrong or thought wrong. And we say to ourselves, well, it's good that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin." But the reality is that the blood of Christ cleanses us even when we're doing something right. Because none of us does anything fully perfect. It's impossible to do anything fully perfect. But all the way as God's people, as Christ's disciples, having once believed in Jesus, all the way, his blood cleanses us. So even our worship today is offered to God knowing that the blood of Christ cleanses us. Whether we're actually thinking about it or not, it just makes us accepted in his holy presence. And the baptism is a reminder of that. It's a reminder to us that we are cleansed. Cleansed by the blood of Christ. And, and as, you know, as we come to the, later on, um, when Fergus does the baptism, what should be going through our minds as we watch the water being applied? Well, I would suspect that one thing we should say is pray to God that what's symbolized and pictured by the water would be taking place not just in Katie's future experience but also in our current experience we're here we're here to watch the occasion but we're also here to participate in the occasion and we are here to participate intelligently and appropriately. And therefore, let's put it this way. What would happen on the great day of judgment if God says to us, what were you thinking when you saw the water being applied to that child and as I say well it reminds us of cleansing our need of cleansing everyone's need of cleansing and therefore we should be praying to the only one who can provide it the great God of heaven so just remind us of the various things we've thought about so far um, in a general sense it's a communal celebration a happy occasion in which the grace of God is just permeating every aspect of it it's also scriptural Jesus instituted it and out of love to him we do what he wants all his commandments are for our spiritual benefit. And the two that he has instructed his church to administer, uh, baptism and the Lord's Supper. They're scriptural, obviously. And it's symbolic, points to something, something real, something crucial, something important. And only sinners are to receive it, whether they are adults or children. And then as far as the features are concerned, faith is, faith is essential. Whatever is not of faith is sin. We're told that. So faith is essential. And it has to be acknowledged by those getting baptism, 
They have to say something. And in our custom, their words are uttered when they make their vows. And it points to cleansing. I've got four more things to say. In the words of Jesus, he refers to the three persons of the Trinity. Now, he could easily have said, baptize them in the name of God. And if he had said that, his words would have been equally true. And if at that particular time we happened to know that God was a trinity, then we'd have automatically thought of that. But we baptize in the name, not the names, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And that signifies to us, doesn't it, that baptism is a divine invitation to spend the rest of your life interacting with each of the divine persons. And there's lots of ways of illustrating that. But the the Heavenly Father, when we believe in Jesus, we become the Father's children. And what a wonderful, precious relationship that is. To call the Almighty God Father. An extraordinary privilege. One that should be highly valued. Because Paul tells us in Romans 8, that if we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, the word that the Holy Spirit is liable to cause us to utter And Paul indicates there in Romans 8 that it will be uttered very strongly. The word that he causes us to say is Father. I mean, that's, to me, that's beautiful. I mean, it's the cry of a child normally, isn't it, to to address one of its parents. And their understanding of what the word of whichever parent they spoke to spoke about, their understanding of that is when their children can be quite small. But as they get older, their knowledge expands. But the relationship doesn't change, does it? They get to know more about it, but it's the same relationship. And in the spiritual life, it's true as well. You know, and just to be sitting in the car, or sitting in a train, or just thinking about really nothing, and all of a sudden it comes into your head, the God of heaven is my Father. I mean, that's amazing. It's not pie in the sky. It's true and it's real. And we can turn to him in the times of happiness and in the times of crisis. And even when we are perplexed and we don't know what words to use, all we have to do is turn to him and say, Father. And that word actually says more than a million others put together. And here in baptism, the Heavenly Father is saying that he wants to have a fatherly relationship with, on this occasion, with Katie. Uh, baptized also in, in the name of the Son of Jesus. As John Newton sang, How sweet the name of Jesus sounds. Well, how precious he is, isn't he? Jesus, our Savior.
Jesus, our Redeemer. Jesus, our friend. Jesus, our physician. Jesus, our shepherd. All these wonderful pictures of him in the Bible. And they're all true. He's a light in our darkness. He's a friend who's always there. Sticks closer than a brother. And he is saying that here as well, isn't he? Everything he said about himself in the Bible, he is saying in this act of baptism that he wants that to be true in the life of Katie, however long it may be. And then there's the Holy Spirit who comes to indwell us when we believe in Jesus, the permanent resident in our hearts, who hears the Father and the Son hear as well, obviously, but the Holy Spirit, in a certain sense, is close to us, indwells us. I mean, how big are our hearts? You ever tried to measure the dimensions of your heart? You can't estimate it in miles. And you can't estimate it in weight. But the one thing that is true about the Holy Spirit is that he's everywhere in our hearts. And one reason he's there, of course, is to change us because we're sinners and he's there to change us into the likeness of Jesus and he is saying to us on this occasion isn't he you're baptized into my name says the Holy Spirit here's a people look out on life and they hope that Life will be an adventure of discovery. And hopefully it will be. And as we know, we can discover things when we're young, and we can discover things when we're middle-aged, and we can discover things when we're old. And we only appreciate them at these eight stages in life. But what is the ultimate life of discovery? Well, it must be to discover the greatest possible experience. And the greatest possible experience is to get to know God. And this is not some kind of religious escapism. It's the reality for which we were made, to know God. And to know God in his fullness to know God as the three divine persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And here in baptism, God is holding out the life of the greatest discovery. And I'll say to those who have been baptized, and I'll say it to myself, how much have we discovered of God? Because that is the test of how real or how serious we take our baptism. Can we say, I know God? And then there's yeah, three more to go. What's baptism for? It's for instruction. That's what Jesus said. Teaching them to observe once they've been baptized. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. When I went to school, can't say I enjoyed every minute of it, but as I look back on it, Everything I learned has been important for me. 
and the Christian church. It's an institution of learning. Now, at, the, at the, our service today, no doubt it will be stressed to Ali and Lucy the importance of instruction as part of the, uh, the connection to baptism. But here, in this verse, it's not the parents who are told to instruct. The parents have to instruct, no doubt about that. But in this verse, it's not the parents who are told to instruct. It's the church. And the church has got a responsibility to instruct. And that instruction is given verbally, but it's also given by example. And hopefully, Katie is going to grow up getting instruction. Getting instruction in the home, but also getting instruction in the church by what she hears and by what she sees. And obviously we can all understand the importance of that. It's lifelong learning. Sixth thing I want to mention about baptism is that inevitably it creates a separation. Separation is quite basic. Either baptized or not baptized. And that separation is, in some ways, is quite stark. You're either in or you're not. And uh, baptism highlights that. That Jesus has a community. And it's a global community. How many baptized people are there in the world today? Who can say? But the whole world can be divided into those who have been baptized and those who have not. And that's quite a striking separation. And the last thing I want to mention is that today, with baptism, Katie becomes a member of the visible church. That is her unique experience today. She doesn't know anything about that. But it is happening that baptism takes her into the church. And that's wonderful. Wonderful beyond words. God in heaven notes this occasion today. And perhaps of all the things that are happening in Inverness today, this is the one that heaven notices. Of course, if there are other baptisms taking place, they'll be noticed too. So there we are. You may have noticed that the seven things I said about baptism are an anagram. They just use the word itself. Baptism is belief, it's affirmation, it's purification, it's the Trinity, it's instruction its separation, and its membership. Seven things about baptism. And if we all remember them, who knows the blessing that we'll know as a result. I'll engage in prayer.
Lord, we thank you for the simplicity and the sublimeness of your institutions. From one point of view, baptism seems so simple as a ritual. And indeed, sometimes because it seems so simple, we want to adorn it with things. But the reality is that its simplicity is there so that we can see the sublimeness of the reality behind it. That's the way you do, do things. And we just pray that as Ali and Lucy and Katie and the wider family and the congregation, as we now take steps into the future, that all of us will understand more and more the power and the pleasure of what baptism illustrates. So grant it, Lord, for your own name's sake. Amen. We're going to sing um, from Psalm 34 and sing Psalms, verses 8 to 14. And after we have sung these verses, uh, Reverend Fergus Robertson, who is uh, Lucy's dad, will take over this service. We'll sing verses 8 to 14. Come taste and see, the Lord is good, who trusts in him is blessed. O oh, fear the Lord, you saints, with need you will not be oppressed. Verses 8 to 14.
It is a real joy for me to share with you today in the act of baptism, the administration of the sacrament of baptism, which uh, in a moment we shall be involved in as we baptize uh, young Katie Valerie, who is named after both of her grandmothers. We hear the words of the institution of the sacrament of baptism as they are delivered by our Lord and Saviour to his disciples. After his resurrection and before his ascension to the right hand of God the Father. Jesus said all authority in heaven and on earth is mine. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The sacrament then thus instituted is a sign and a seal of the covenant of grace, of our engrafting into Christ, of forgiveness of sins by his blood, of regeneration by his spirit, of adoption into the household of faith, and of resurrection to everlasting life. Though children do not understand these things, nevertheless, the promise is also to them. Children born to those who are Christ's have by their birth interest in the covenant. They are heirs of the covenant of grace. They are therefore entitled to the seal of that covenant, which is baptism. In this sacrament, the Lord is once again saying, Suffer the children to come to me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. This sacrament, this act of baptizing a helpless infant, is a standing witness to the priority of grace over faith in the Christian life. Here, grace overshadows the little one. Here God declares himself to be graciously inclined to her. And just as Christ died for us in the first instance, without waiting for any sign of faith in us, so also baptism is administered to this child without waiting for faith or desire on her part. When we baptize this child, we are declaring publicly that God does for us what he does without our merits and without even our knowledge. In baptism, more plainly perhaps than anywhere else, God commends his love to us in that while we were yet without strength, Christ died for us. It is the duty of those who present their children for baptism to make public confession of the faith wherein they are to be baptized, 
and to promise before Almighty God to bring them up in that faith, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I would therefore ask with the parents, Ali, Lucy, come forward, please. Ali, Lucy, in presenting Katie for baptism, do you confess your faith in God as your Heavenly Father, in Jesus Christ as your Saviour and Lord, and in the Holy Spirit as your Sanctifier? I do. And do you promise in dependence on divine grace to teach her the truths and the duties of the Christian faith and by prayer, precept and example to bring her up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Then the Lord bless you and your child and give you grace to perform these duties faithfully. And as we've heard, the sacrament of baptism also lays solemn obligations upon the congregation. This is a communal event. But not only on this particular congregation, but upon all of God's people, wherever we may be. We may not belong to this congregation, we perhaps belong to another. But there will be children in our midst over whom we have an influence. And we are called to be faithful to God in our lives and in our profession, that children who are in our midst, wherever that might be, will see something of the beauty and the glory of God as a willingness to so live obedient lives to the Lord. Would you please now stand? <clears throat> now let us pray. Our gracious and eternal God, we give you thanks for the gift of life, and particularly this day for the gift of Katie Valerie's life. We thank you for all her potential. We thank you, O oh God, for all that she is, to her parents and to the wider family. And we pray that in the days and the times ahead that she will come to know the Lord Jesus and to love him and to lean upon him and to confess him as Saviour. We entrust her to your fatherly care. O oh God, thy life-creating love, this sacred trust to parents gave. In Christ thou camest from above thy children's souls to claim and save. Help us who now our pledges give, the young to train and guard and guide, to learn of Christ and so to live that they may in thy love abide. Grant, Lord, as strength and wisdom grow, that every child thy truth may learn. Impart thy light, that each may know thy will and life's true way discern. Then home and child, kept in thy peace and guarded, Father, by thy care, will in the grace of Christ increase and all thy kingdom's blessings share. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Katie Valerie. I baptize you in the name of the Father, 
and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And may the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son and Holy Spirit rest upon you this day and forevermore. Amen. Let's pray. Our gracious God, how precious is the gift of life, how precious is this child, and we know precious to yourself. As we commit her to your care, we ask, O oh God, that your word would be to her as a lamp to her way and a light to her feet. We ask, O oh God, that she will walk always in your way, knowing the one who declared himself to be the way, the truth, the light. We pray that her walk in life will be as that Emmaus road walk. May she know the drawing near of the risen Christ at every turn of the way and at every crossroad of the journey. And we would conclude our prayer in the words of that ancient blessing, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. And for Katie, the most precious gift that she can have, the word of God that is a lamp to her feet and a light to her way. And so we now conclude our service singing the words of the psalm, the psalm 128, psalm 128. We sing the whole psalm. Blessed is each one that fears the Lord and walketh in his ways. of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit 
be with us all this day and forevermore. Amen.